Hello everyone, this is Shweb Khan here at Anti-Small Talk. Today is our third episode in our Conversations About Inequality podcast series. Over the past few weeks, we've been inviting guests to look at a very intersectional design to our inequalities. So we've been assessing the dynamics of social class, age, gender, religion, ethnicity, disability, sexuality as an interlinking cage where our guests provide us a day-to-day lived experience and understanding of what these inequalities mean to them. The purpose of Anti-Small Talk, again, is to provide these authentic voices and authentic platform to liberate these authentic energies. I'm absolutely just delighted to announce that Nicola Owen will be joining us today on our Conversations About Inequality series. Nicola will be talking about classism, growing up during the Margaret Thatcher era, and also her new ventures and looking at what it means to provide well-being for our teachers. Hello, Nicola, and welcome to Anti-Small Talk. Yeah, you all right? Yes, I'm fine, thank you. So myself and Nicola managed to uh, strike up a conversation to the very archives of social media, and I think one thing that hit me straight away was how... Uh, passionate Nicola was about both teacher well-being, her upbringing, and kind of like her historical sort of background and where she came from and her heritage as well. So Nicola, would you like to tell, us, tell the audience a little bit about yourself before we start our questions? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm I'm a 42-year-old mum of two children, almost teenagers, but one is, one isn't. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm married and I have been teaching now, well, I've been in education for 20 years uh, teaching for 18 of those and yeah I've just sort of like gone on this epic journey of self-discovery and uh, I've just completely reinvented um, what I want to do with my, my life so <laughs> I've actually given up teaching <laughs> um, but I am still in education um, I've just helped my own well-being business which is it's I'm really really enjoying my work at the minute um, and I think it's a really worthwhile um, venture that I'm taking on. That's fantastic to hear and it's also nice to hear how people are able to uh, create careers for themselves and jobs for themselves outside of education as a, rather than the immediate vicinity of the classroom. And Nicola one thing that hit me straight away in our first conversation was growing up during Thatcher's Britain because I grew up in the 90s I'm a 90s kid I grew up in 19 I was born in 1992 so I just give my age away that everyone literally. <laughs> um, what was it like growing up during Margaret Thatcher's era? Because we hear all sorts, you know, about how you know she she took milk from children and you know <laughs> how she was this you know sort of um, you know um, cult of personality. What was what was your uh, belie- uh, beliefs of? What? I, love, I love how you just said I grew up in the nineties and I didn't really know how you've done that. I I grew up really in the 90s, but mm. I was a child in the 1980s, mm. uh, born in 78. So 1979, Margaret Thatcher took over. Mm. And um, my parents um, were working class, they still are, um, as I am. And um, they, my dad was, um, he was in the army, he was in the, in the services, and he came out of the army and married my mum. And my mum worked in a factory. Um, my mum um, then get fell pregnant with me and she became a stop-at-home mum and my dad worked in the mines, he was a miner. 
So you can imagine my background growing up. <laughs> the miners' strike I experienced, um, going to school, having my milk stolen, <laughs> as you so nicely put it, um, having to go home at lunch times because the school was closed over lunch times, um, and not really knowing why, to be honest. It was this element that mum was picking me up at lunchtime, went home, had my lunch, and then watched a bit of play school, and then came back home, back to school. <laughs> Um, so it was very, for me, growing up as a child, um, my parents provided as much as they could. You know, they worked hard and um, Margaret Thatcher was a topic of conversation frequently around our dinner table every night. Um, we would sit down every night and, you know, we wouldn't be sitting having the meals that I sort of prepare for my children now. It was things like fish fingers and chips and it was egg and beans and it was it was liver and onions oh at one point liver and onions and my mother used to put in front of me it was disgusting honestly it's just like it just doesn't even oh no liver and onions haunts me i can't even eat awful now um but my point was is we still sat down as a family we still had those values we still had those um those that time for connection and we didn't have very very much um what we did have my mum and dad you know, they, they really did look after myself and my brother. They provided as much as they could. And and growing up, and and it's, it sounds really weird, but I never really wanted anything. I never had that want for anything. But I could see other people around me with things that I didn't have. It's that relative and, deprivation, isn't it, compared to others? Yeah. yeah, and I think when I look back at my primary school years, um, it was a blend, really. The catchment area isn't a great catchment area of my old primary school. Um, but the children that did attend, some of them were more affluent than, than I, my family were. And, you know, it was it's quite telling. I mean, my mum, um, when my myself and my brother were in school, my mum went to back, back to work part-time. She worked in a shop called Shoestring. Now, anybody in the northwest of England might know Shoestring as the, the shoe shop where um, you literally had a pair of shoes and they were tied together with string and they were sort of like punctured on the, the heel and flung over this this wooden rack in the shop. And you, when you went to shoestring, people knew you shopped at shoestring because you had these little holes in your shoes <laughs> on okay. the side. And my mum worked there, so I got all these blinking shoes that were just like all these holes in. But, and it, it was like I had mixed trainers and my friends had Adidas. You know, it was that sort of comparison. And when as a child, you do compare yourself. And, you know, one of the lads in school, he was going to uh, Barbados for his holiday. And I was like, what's a holiday? <laughs> we did have one holiday and one um, holiday abroad in the entire time that I was in primary school, which was to Greece. And we were very, very small, so I don't really remember it. <laughs> um, but the thing was, is although we didn't have much, my mum and dad had the values and they taught me the, the right from wrong and they taught me, you know, to value what I had and to look after what I had. And we had this thing where we, we spent a lot of time together. Things that we did and what we experienced were things that were free. You know, we would go after tea, we'd go to a place called Barrow Bridge, which is a very, um, it's a, a place in Bolton that's, um, it's renowned for, for the mining community. And um, there was this area that my dad used to, because we used to see people walking and my dad was like, always very much like, oh, they're, 
they're the snobs and they're this, they're that. And it was quite detrimental, really, when I think about it. And and it, my dad used to call it socialist socialist corner where we used to sit and we, me and my brother used to play in the river with the rocks and have races under the bridge and my mum and dad used to sit and chill and watch us play and then my dad would get in with us and well these are fond memories and these are things that didn't cost anything um and yet meant so much as a child growing up um now my dad he was heavily involved in politics um and he was yeah he was the labor councillor um initially in a in a ward that wasn't ours where we lived but eventually did become elected, an elected member in the ward where we lived. So this sort of like catapulted myself and my brother into a different realm of um, society within our little community, because people saw my dad as a, a, another a, a, another level of, of um, so, social status, really. Because he, hierarchy almost, yep. Yeah, and so it, I was known as the councillor's daughter. <laughs> and growing up with that title, oh my God, it was horrendous. It was awful. I hated it <laughs> because everyone had this expectation of me then that I had to behave in a certain way and I had to yep. do certain things. And if I was ever in trouble, which I wasn't, I was a pretty good kid, um, my, you know, it was like, oh, and she's she's the councillor's daughter. <laughs> you know, my brother my brother did all the bad stuff for me. He was the mischievous one. Um, my brother's always like that. That's how it is. I am glad you're not interviewing my little brother and tell you all sorts, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but my, my point was, is that, it was, I was in a different, I was put in a different bubble again. Um, and my dad for me was, is, is my hero. He will always be my hero. Um, and I remember, you know, we live on a council estate. I still live in the house that I lived in when I was a little girl. Wow. I bought the house for my parents. That pride but, you have in your identity is incredible. Yeah, and I, I don't mind telling people where I live. You know, I'm, I'm proud of where I live. And I've seen lots of different life stories happen. And, you know, there's, there's neighbours that I live amongst that I've known all my life. And I've seen the tragedies they've gone through, you know, through drugs and alcohol abuse. I've seen things happen. You know, next door to us, the, the lady who used to live next door to us when we were children growing up, in the fact that she is, um, she she was a single mum. She had children um, with various partners who used to come and go and used to beat her up. You know, and I was privy to all of this. I had all these adversities that I'd seen in my lifetime, not through my mum and dad, but through the society in which I lived in. Um, and my dad, you know, her, her house caught fire. My dad rescued her children. Wow. That's I, I, you know, and I saw this happen. I, my dad is up here. You know, you could oh. never, ever dismount. I measure my dad. Mm. My The way my dad is, I measure other people against my dad. I mean, you know, do you know what I mean? For me, yeah, <laughs> I was very fortunate when I was raised really well, yeah. I can see striking similarities in our growing up. There was... What they didn't have in terms of finance and money, they made up with love. And yeah. I was very, very fortunate. Our dad used to cook for us and we used to think, you know, yeah. cooking, what's going on? This is weird. Like, <laughs> this is I mean, my mum's been a very positive role model as a, as a, as a female and, yeah. and as a mother. Um, you know, my mum, she, she gained um, a scholarship for Bolton School. Um, unfortunately, she couldn't go because they couldn't afford the uniform. So my mum was very clever. 
um, and she took up her education once myself and my brother was were old enough and she re-educated herself at one point I was doing my GCSEs at school and my mum was on a, a scheme that my school were running and she was doing her English and maths as well wow that's incredible and <laughs> that's obviously with that though come on <laughs> having my mum there <laughs> Amazing. That is a, that drive to continue to improve those aspirations regardless yeah. of difficult times were. That's incredible. I think one of the best moments of my life was actually going to my own mum's graduation. That must have been wonderful, yes. Yeah. 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 I remember my mum's my mum and dad taking me up to Lancaster Uni when I got into uni and um my mum just she just got hold of me, my my arm and she just pulled me to one side and she said, Don't waste this opportunity. Don't waste it. Absolutely. And, I, and I was, it was like one of those moments in my life. I was like, right. I mean, I graduated in 2000, I think, yeah. I won't tell you how old I was. I've don't like, because then I will feel old. <laughs> but, oh, shh. <laughs> and, um, he's, he's actually miming this day. It was 2009. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, um, I graduated in 2000. And, yeah, to get my degree, I was the first... Um, person in my family my immediate family to get my degree um i was the first grandchild in my my maternal side and paternal side's family to get that's my degree incredible. that's incredible um, so this is these are things that you know my parents and i have this belief as a parent myself is that you always want that extra bit more than what you achieved or had or opportunity that you had for your children you want them to be on the next level and whether that is a class thing, I'm not sure. I don't know whether it's. I mean, I don't. I'm not ashamed of, of, of where I've come from. I'm not. I think it's part of my character and it's part of who I am. Mm-hmm. And I value everything that, that comes to me. And I'm not suggesting that if you're not in a working class situation that that you don't value things because I think middle class. I I had friends that that, that were middle class. Mm-hmm. I remember being at college and at sixth form and the girls that, that I hung around with. You know, they lived in huge houses and they were, you know, they went on holiday three times a year and the parents had really, really good jobs. And I remember one friend saying, oh, come and join this gym with us. And I'd moved out. I moved out at 17. I only moved across the road into a flat, but I still moved out. <laughs> and um, I didn't have the money to, to join this gym. And I was at sixth form. I was working two jobs um, to, to keep myself going and, and, work, and do my A-levels. And um, I, I didn't have the money. But they really wanted me to be a part of it and they, they felt that they wanted to you know to have me there and i was like mm, i don't know and one friend she drew some money out of her savings account to pay for the the fees up front because that's what you had to do then back then you didn't have a pay as you go gym mm-hmm. uh, you had to pay for the whole year so she she lent me the money and i paid her back so i know that within class there's also that element of kindness and understanding of and I think that for me is where I am able to to make that bridge between the disconnect. The two. Yes, yes. Because I mean, I live on on a council estate. There are people on this estate that have seen me grow up. There are people on this estate that I've seen grow up and that are grown ups now. Um, and I've had you know conflicts where I've you know I've had to call people out on things. You know that's an acceptable behaviour. We live in a community, etc. And when I challenge people, I then get the, oh, you're just so up yourself, you're this, you're that. And I think I'm not, I am really not. And I think the fact that I'm, I am part of a community and I do, 
I do help other people. I mean, I, I'm the one that, you know, they'll knock on the door and say, can you sign my passport for me? You know, because yeah. the <laughs> doctor's going to charge me. And I'm like, I don't mind doing that, you know. And then, you know, it's things that happen, like my husband will lend his gardening equipment. He's a gardener. So he'll lend gardening equipment to, to other neighbours that have not got anything, you know, or I'll mind children in the holidays, <laughs> you know, the, the you know, neighbour's kids for, for an hour while the mum has back, you know, time to go and do the, the supermarket shop. Yeah. It's that understanding of, of you know, living in part of a community and, and using what skills you've got as a person to be kind, to bridge that gap and to try, try and find where you do fit in because I don't feel like I'm middle class but i don't feel like i'm like working working class Absolutely. because of my job and my qualifications so it's very hard sometimes when you're trying to bridge and, and get out of a class system yep yep it does exist and Absolutely. i know I think it's, tacit. it's very tacit isn't it? it's very inbuilt we don't realize so for example it's very it's striking how similar our sort of like stories are so i'm the only person who graduated from my family well ever like entire generation i mean ever like going back centuries okay. apparently i'm the only one according to my dad he's really proud of that and i always get neighbors knocking on my door saying oh Shreb, can you um just do this for me can you mm -hmm. take the food bank oh could you like possibly sign this for me i'm like why are you asking and I'm like, why are you was asking me for you're the one the middle class job but i like the fact that i can dip in and out of both sort of like social settings when i need to, when i have to so retaining that sense of pride in who i am but also being I able think, to bridge yeah. that and I think it's about the person that you are and how you've been brought up, that you're kind and that you've got those values, you've got community and spirit and, and people having that equity, you know. Mm -hmm. It's not about equality, it's about equity, it's about giving that upper, you know, giving that fair fairness to everything. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And, and I mean, I, I'm bringing my children up on the, in the same estate. Obviously, it's a whole lot different this this day and age bringing children up and from when i was being brought up and um but i still hold those values that i was given as a child my children have got those now and you know hopefully their wings might spread a bit further than manchester <laughs> they might like to do a little bit more it's one of those things where i think installing those values really early is really really important and eventually as they grow older they'll always have a sense of attachment and belonging to somewhere i think obviously my grandparents came here from india pakistan they came in the, in the 50s and 60s britain was very much a place they were staying but they were never going to remain forever so the fact they lived here majority of their adult life is astounding and the fact that we've grown up here and lived here our entire adult lives the idea was always to go back at some stage but this is our home now and i think i was very fortunate my dad used to continue to tell me that we do belong here. We've earned the right to work here and live here. If anything, boys, it's your job to make the next step, go to university, become doctors, yeah. teachers, etc. I think there's the, I mean, there's the saying, isn't there? My mum and my nan, both of them used to tell me about this, you know, that, that you give your children roots to grow and wings to fly. You yeah. know, and I think that's a real yeah. sense of, of who I am. It's I know where I've come from and I've got good grounding and I know that I can always go back home. <laughs> No matter what, yeah. if everything fails and I make a mess of things, I can go up and do it, make the leap of faith. I can do that, but I also know where my home is and I know where I belong and I know where I'm loved. And I think that's pretty important. <laughs> and if you're looking at in terms of that, because we're going to talk about well-being in a, in, a, in a couple of minutes as well, in terms yeah. of well-being, our, our, our sort of like day-to-day -day mental health, just our, our social surroundings, having that sort of 
I suppose safety net, that safe place for ourselves that we can find it in any anywhere we love can find it. You know, um, at the gym, we can find it around family, we can find it in, you know, therapy or counselling. If you've got it around you on a day-to-day basis and you're seeing it every day, it does I believe it really helps you create some sort of balance in your life in terms of work and life and also just having that mindfulness and that well-being I think is really really important I think as well I mean a lot of the things that I have seen growing up and what I've experienced have also told me what's not right really? <laughs> you know what I can change and, yes. and how I can strive for more and how I can build a, a better surrounding and how I can build a better life you know and I think I think that's the thing I mean Margaret Thatcher talked about the classless society which yes, is that yes, woman, yes. <laughs> that woman. <laughs> I got, um, I'll tell you very openly Nicola when she died uh, we were at university I was 13 I believe and I was in my second second year the roars and cheers of excitement I'm not I don't celebrate death you know death's awful but when I went home, I, I told dad and dad's like, you know what? It is what it is. Normally he'd be like, like oh, you know, it's, it's sad. He's like, it is what it is, you know? You've got to look at the damage as well as the, the legacy, as well as the damage the person's caused. So yeah. what is a class of society like? I'd, I've never got my head around it. I don't think it exists and it'll never exist. I'm being, come, I think she, she, obviously this is her class privileged speaking <laughs> because she, she doesn't, I don't think she'd ever, you know, I, I have this, this thing of, um, you know, you walk a mile in somebody else's shoes, then you can, you, then you can actually have an opinion. And I don't feel that Margaret Thatcher actually knew her people at all. My my parents, um, they um, they had a bottle of champagne that they've been saving. Wow. And um, when Margaret Thatcher, and I, I don't mean to upset anybody, I really don't. Um, but when Margaret Thatcher died, my parents opened that champagne and toasted her death because that woman put my parents through hell absolutely absolutely yeah. even, even nicola if you take it further back the people in brixton and you know yes, from the brixton, minus right. strikes, you can go yeah. you know you can go the four minus strikes. Minus strikes. I, I as a child my dad was um he was on the method study side of mining then and um i remember my mum had to drive my dad into work on and i remember being in the car crossing a picket line and being called scabs you know my dad was was doing his job he wasn't allowed to to strike because of the, the nature of what his work was he was still within the mines he'd been down the mines he'd been a miner but he'd worked himself up you know through and he was a method study engineer and the facts of the matter was is that margaret thatcher was she was ripping food out of people's mouths she absolutely, wasn't absolutely. That, and, and i've experienced the miners strike and, and being called a scab and you know, banging on the car as, as my mum was driving through the, you know, the picket line because she was dropping my dad off. It was, that was frightening. You know, that was, that was stuff, you know, she did an awful lot. And the fact that she thinks that, 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 that we live in a classless society, that's a utopia. <laughs> I'd love a classless society. If you think of it, let's make Absolutely. If we relate to now, the right the day and the right now, I was reading somewhere the current cabinet's got sixty five percent of people in the current cabinet go to private schools. If you look at the current exams debacle and and all the you know all the all the mess that's going on within politics, I'm trying not to swear. All the mess that's currently going on in politics, you've got a, uh, a very elite group of um, privately school networked upper middle class individuals from professional backgrounds mm-hmm. trying to conceptualize what it means to be us and make decisions for us so the fact they've got economic power and also they've got political and social power 
And then to us, for us to say that we live in a classless society where every, everyone can achieve equally and there's a, a utopian meritocracy, it's a very flawed concept. But buying into that year upon year is difficult as a teacher, I think I found at the time. I mean, they wear rose tinted glasses, don't they? That, that's the, 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 the upshot. That's the thing. They, they don't know what it's like to, to decide whether you're going to put food on the table or fueling you you fire you know they don't understand you know that there are parents out there that go completely without food so they can feed their own children have they ever understood the concept of a food bank have they actually ever you know spoke to a child who whose parent is absolutely uh, you know in a state of depression because they, they feel that they've failed the children you know, I have parents, I have parents that have, you know, opened up about how how life is, you know, behind closed doors when they're trying to feed, feed and clothe the children, you know. Mm-hmm. And it- I found really strange, Nicola, as well, that, you know, people are saying, oh, Marcus Rashford, you know, uh, Raheem Sterling, Jordan Henderson, they've done fantastic storms, they've all done fantastic work in providing these opportunities for the most deprived children. Should they really need to? No. Are we, the third, are we the third or sixth richest country in the world? We're up there, definitely. There's no doubt about it. We're an economic powerhouse. You know, uh, you can bring bring back the history of empire and how, how well economically resourced Britain is. Should we really be having children starving? And there's, I read somewhere there's more food banks than there are McDonald's outlets in the UK. And you, you know there's a McDonald's on every corner. We've got like six in Peterborough. We're a small yeah. city. It's, it's heartbreaking. I mean, everybody's got stories. And um, we've all got things that bad things that happen to us we make choices sometimes they're not the right choices but should we constantly be punished for that you know why have we got the state that homeless the homeless absolutely absolutely why why is that even happening it breaks my heart it really really does and it's it's like in this day and age we shouldn't have child poverty we shouldn't have poverty people on, on the streets it shouldn't be happening but it does and it does because we have class we have you know the society has an, an upper class you know we have middle class we have lower class we have working class yes you know absolutely. the aristocracy we have privilege we, we we have people that are born in circumstances that are beyond their control and yet are punished absolutely. why i was reading somewhere um it was in the kaylee garthright book which is called hunger pains it's about life in food bank britain and i think there's a statistic in there it left me astounded by 2020 so this year there will be shit that was estimated there'll be 2.4 million children in poverty that's 25 wembley stadiums and yeah. then we're talking about a classless society absolutely balmy where are these I, my parents um when the recession hit in the um early 90s my parents were made redundant my mum and dad um were on the bread line we nearly lost the house um my dad went to um it was like a radio company called lucas industries and he used to buy their um thrown out um car radios yeah and he used to buy the car radios that were damaged and he used to fix them and then sell them on car boot sales and i used to work with him at 12 years 12 years old and it's ingrained early, isn't it? Poverty yeah. is very ingrained early. Yes. I remember. I remember my dad. My, my dad's best friend. Um, he was in a more of a privileged position. Um, he lived on a place uh, in, a, in a better area of where we live. And he. I remember him bringing black bin bags full of frozen food to fill our freezer so that we had food. 
and my dad was he was like it, it was a mixture of pride and a mixture of gratitude of accepting it but not wanting to accept it you know I should be able to provide for my family and 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 I think that's another thing isn't it it's about taking those opportunities of help absolutely one thing I find really like empowering when I speak to you Nicola is how you've retained that faith in meritocracy the idea that everyone can achieve regardless of your hardships I remember when I was growing up for example Sometimes I saw no end in sight. I thought, you know, our shopping trip was once every month. That's all dad could afford. Once a month and we'd get everything in one go. We'd freeze yogurts. You know, it was, it was, it was mayhem. Three growing boys in the house. It was absolute mayhem. <laughs> pension as well. It was, and the child tax credit, we couldn't, we couldn't fill in the form. So we didn't never got the real help we needed. But how do like working class and lower class parents and just children grow retain that faith in meritocracy when they see so much classism so overtly out there i think it's that belief isn't it mm. the belief that there is that opportunity i mean if we talk about sir ken robinson you know um the late sir ken robinson right? piece, yes. yeah um he talks about having um that that nugget of of passion somewhere in you and he talked about it being really, really embedded somewhere, somewhere deep down, like a natural resource. And it's about finding that that thing, whatever it is, finding it and developing it and letting it grow and encouraging it. And for me, at school, not necessarily primary school, um, more secondary school, that nugget sort of like started to come to the surface and luckily for me, I had some amazing teachers who who pulled it out, dusted it off, buffed it up and said, that's you. You know, you are wonderful. You are amazing. They built me up and they made me realise that I was worth something. And behind that, I had my parents constantly encouraging me you know you've got to do well they weren't pressurizing me you know my mum and dad have this philosophy that a child will do well if they want to do well but my parents were you know we really want you to take every opportunity that life throws at you take it with both hands and run with it you know do the best that you can do with what you've been given and see how it grows and see how it develops now my husband and i know he won't mind me saying this but my husband didn't have that at, at school my husband left school with no qualifications whatsoever. You know, it's only now that he's been going back to college and doing X, Y, and Z. And that's because I've been going, you need to get an education, you should do this. <laughs> but my point is, is when you've got people around you and people who believe in you and who invest in you, yes. you will always do well. Mm-hmm. Because you cannot get away from that positivity and you cannot get away from that responsibility as well. I'd never wanted to let my parents down ever. And some people might see that as a negative that your parents have got these expectations and stuff. But if you've not got that, that's part of, of, of being safe and being feeling comfortable as you're growing up. Absolutely. I also love how uh, you include teachers into that nexus of thought because the, one of the best resources this country has got is its teachers Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. I am proud to be part of that. I'm not there anymore. Um, It's one of those things where I think as a a body of people, as a fraternity, the the energy and the time that we invest into our role 
We know it's worth it. It would be nice if it was met halfway. And, and I think you know what I'm referring to about this disconnect between us and them, um, certain political figures who have blocked yeah. us on social media uh, for various reasons. But um, what happened there, Schwab? Right? What happened? We, we, we had students out, they were, they were marching, they were shouting, they were saying, this is unfair. We had teachers, we had, you know, we, we were out there and we were saying, this isn't good enough. And we got the U-turn. And that's the power of, of, of having that investment in and in understanding what's right and what's fair. And I think that is, is the pure essence of, of teaching. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Nicola, as we are time conscious as well, I want to talk about one of your major passions and the work that you're doing currently as well. So you're very much focused on teacher well-being and sort of mental health. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, oh, right. Yeah. So like, I, I do. I put the child at the centre of everything within my business and I've got a strong belief that if the people that surround a child are in a good state of well-being then they're in a good position to help that child to adopt good well-being um, strategies that put them in a really good place then they're going to learn and flourish um, so I look at teacher well-being and I also look at parental well-being and I also look at peers so if the mates are all in a good place they're going to be able to help each other yes absolutely Nicola quick one for you so we hear about well-being a lot it's a hashtag, you know, it's a buzzword, it's an acronym, it's thrown around quite a lot. A lot of books have been written about it. Everything seems to have well-being. Someone will make out an egg and chips and put teacher well-being at the end of it as a photo on Twitter. Um, what is teacher well I, I actually, I, I think it's very individual to the person, but what is teacher well-being? Like, how could you wow. encapsulate it? Right, so well-being anyway is a state of being comfortable and happy and healthy, right? So I I have like this four strands to well-being. Um, in, well, five really, if I think about it, if I edge it, but the main four, so your physical health. So as a teacher, right, you need to eat well, you need to sleep, and you also need to exercise. <laughs> so those are the three main things for your health, as in physical health. Yeah. Um, so I, I do lots of things to try and keep myself healthy, you know, drink lots of water, go to sleep. I didn't sleep last night, though, by the way. <laughs> I think my head's just full of things because I'm taking a bit of a break in about three days. I'm going to have some time out and um, I think I'm just preparing myself. <laughs> my head's just full. Um, however, going back to it, teacher wellbeing. So it's sleep, drinking water, having a healthy diet and exercising. Um, so those are the three, uh, four things within um, a physical sense that you need to look after yourself as a teacher. And that way then you're going to keep combat the colds and the flu and all that jazz. Um, emotional well-being. This is linked with self-confidence um, and it's quite a big one really for teachers because we, we've got to be the most resilient, we've got to be the most, you know, we're the ones that are constantly learning and innovating and, and creating and sometimes it doesn't work and it's like, you know, setbacks and you think it's yourself and you think you're rubbish, you think you're this and we get imposter syndrome and we get all these things that whiz about. So having the ability to be able to cope with life and, and just accept things when they go wrong and being able to pick yourself back up and, and get back on the bike, if you like, when you've fallen off. So that emotional side of, of um, well-being is like your self-confidence. And then if we move with teachers, it's like emotional and social, really, that we, we really focus on. So your self-esteem. Um, within a social setting to be able to contribute positively to be able to have confidence to say actually no that that I don't agree with that or could we try this and you know can we think 
different ways of doing x y and z so it's social and emotional are very closely linked i think as a teacher um and then for me the spiritual side for me i i'm a practicing christian so i've um okay. i i um I, I do think that the spiritual side for me is very much and i, I do a lot of uh, mindfulness as well and and being able to just appreciate what's around me and, and have a lot of gratitude so i think that element for me is another side to well-being so when it comes to teacher well-being we've got this this blend as 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 a teacher because what you're in control of is those four things that i've just talked about yep. for yourself but then you're in this this family of of other teachers <laughs> Um, with a blend of SLT and head teacher, and then obviously you've got your hierarchy of the LEA and then the government, etc. But when you work in a school, teacher well-being is people think they go straight to the health thing. You know, let's give them yoga and let's have a fruit basket, and it's not about that at all. It's it's but sit here and talk forever about what well-being isn't in a school, <laughs> rather than. Yeah, and I think, I mean, for me, well-being in school is having a good work-life balance, yes. having good communication with staff, knowing your staff, knowing each other as a staff, knowing what they're going through and, and the stories and the reasons why things might be happening and, and why they may be reacting the way they are. Um, it's about valuing the worth, where the, the strengths in staff are and whether the growth areas are and how do you nurture staff in order to grow and share experiences in order to help each other grow. It's about collaboration. It's about common respect. It's about, it's about having the same ethos and values. And it's about having it so that it's, it's presented to your students. So teacher wellbeing for me, it's hard um, when you're trying to focus on yourself, but then you've also got to think about where you fit within that jigsaw of, of a school life. And for me as well, and I, I used to say to my head teacher all the time, because I was very concerned about her stress levels and how she was taking quite a lot on, that other people doesn't, don't actually see. you know. And I think that's the problem with, with um, headship and SLTs. They do take on board an awful lot of, of things that protect staff and other staff don't see that so it's them and us and them culture and, yeah. and that 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 needs to dissolve that needs to go because it's about being a team and i think that comes with the, the collaboration communication and valuing what everybody brings to the table not just the slt but it's the the tas it's the hltas it's even the cleaners the the the, the caretakers it's everybody i mean i think when schools went back into bubbles, I think that really came about because you had people actually looking at each other and saying, well, actually, you know, she's got asthma. Let's try and keep her in a, in a role that's not going to be, maybe she could do remote learning or he's them. Let's make sure that we've got everything covered and he's comfortable with everything and procedures. And it's about under, and she's got children, she's got young children. Let her do remote learning, you know. They've got older children. They can come in three days a week instead of two. You know, it's that working together, communicating and looking at what you have and what is presented in your school. Absolutely. It's that really individualised approach, isn't it? Knowing what other people's strengths and weaknesses are and supporting yeah. them with their strengths and weaknesses. Sometimes I think it's sad that we've it's required a pandemic for a lot of people to realise what well-being yeah. is. But it's better late than never. It's better to have that late than ever. Yeah. Uh, Nicola, because of time... I want to talk about music. Music has to be a conversation. So this morning, I was listening to Earth, Wind and Fire September. Oh, what wow. What is on your plate today? 
Oh, my playlist today has been epic, actually. I've had quite a, I have very eclectic music tastes. Um, a lot of my friends will tell you this. From one minute, I, I had, um, I think I had um, jump, jump, jump in the line on the car, you know, from Beetlejuice. Yes, yes. Oh, <laughs> like, jump in the line, <laughs> get my body on time. Okay, I believe you. Yeah, I was singing that. And then I had, um, oh, my, I had Bewitched, Sylvie. Uh, yes. Uh, Hanson, Mbop. <laughs> Nothing beats Zumbop. Life is about <laughs> There's never a bad time for that song. Got an eye, Joe, the Rednecks. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. Oh, you know, and then we had uh, James, Sit Down. That was a classic. That yes, was my yes. Ritzy days, you know, student Ritzy days, that was. Bit of Britney. Uh, Wilson Phillips, Hold On. Oh, yes, Wilson Phillips. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. I had... It's Kate Clark. Add Amy, Grant on, add Amy Grant on this morning. Oh, baby, baby. baby. Oh. <laughs> People oh, listening okay. to this thing, they know what type of music I listen to, so, oh. yeah. Oh, yeah, swear, I love music. It's, it's, I think if somebody said to me, right, Nick, you've got a choice, Netflix or Spotify. 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 All day long. All day long. All day and long. I have, I have music on. I, I mean, I've taken to cooking in lockdown. I've... Um, we d- I did. I've got involved with Move for Food, Move for Food Ed, um, and it's like post it. I can't cook. Well, I, I can cook now, but I couldn't cook really before lockdown. I was the fish finger mum, you know, the one <laughs> that didn't do it very much. It's like oven chips and fish fingers, and I still managed to burn them. But since lockdown, because I've had the time. Uh, and I've had the, the inclination actually to do it and uh, invest a little bit of you know time and money in a few bits of equipment and I've managed to you know do a bit of um, research on what I like, what I don't like, and I've got mm. some really cool recipes. I'm really happy with myself, so I've actually I can actually cook now. And um, when I cook, I do this thing where I put my music on the speaker, the music's full blast, I dance yes. around the kitchen, mm. I, you know, I shake it out, it's just amazing, I love it, I sing, I dance and I cook, mm. and the kids are like, what on earth is going on mum? I'm what? making tea. <laughs> when I'm cooking, I have, um, I think I'm Ainsley Harrier, I have the hat on and everything, I really do, and the apron, I've got a... Um... Is salt and Percy Pepper? <laughs> I love it. I literally have the hat on and the apron and uh, <laughs> like Motown, like 18 <laughs> Motown, so like Jackie Wilson and people like that. And, oh, gotcha. Yeah. Oh, the Motown classics. Oh, yes. man. Yeah. Uh, I was listening to, is it um, the Contours, Do You Love Me the other day? I was listening to that whilst I was cooking. And mum's like, just stop. What is wrong I, with you? I, I, I love the Jackson, Jackson 5 and I love Yes, I love absolutely. Yeah, just it's like, just an amazing era, isn't it? That entire era. Like, I think before 2000, no offence to anybody who listens to music after 2008, I think before 2008, music was like in a golden stage and era, and now it's kind of gone a bit, um, yeah. I, I, honestly, I, I despair, right? My son is 14, nearly 15, and his Spotify playlist is all this, like, rap stuff that's sort of, like, blended with 90s classics. Mm. And, like... He'll say, Mum, can I put my music on? Like, we'll be like, eating dinner in the garden. And we're like, Yeah, all right. And then he'll put something on, and me and my husband start singing along. And he's like, How oh, do you know this? <laughs> we embarrass him because we actually know the song. I said, Well, when it came out the first time around. <laughs> and then I think, I sound like my mother. <laughs> it happens, honestly, it happens. When I'm listening to music for my friends, they were like, Oh, Shrub, you know, how have you heard that song? It came out before you were born. It was like, it was everywhere by Fleetwood Mac. I was like, that's an amazing song. They were like, oh, we don't listen to that. I was like, I do, let me listen to it. Or a couple of weeks ago, I was sat in the car with my best friend and we were down around the road. It's like, 
do not put on absolute 90s that annoying songs in the corner which one that annoying one with that guy um uh, brian adams oh but when you're gone he's like yeah so as soon as i put the radio on that was the first song and he's like i hate you so much to be honest, I, I have my phone connected to my Bluetooth and the car, so honestly, my, as soon as I get in, it's like, find my tune, phone goes in the glove compartment, boom, my tunes are on, and then my son's like, this is rubbish, turn it off, <laughs> I'm driving, my car. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Nicola, it's been absolutely fantastic to have you on the podcast. Um, I'm almost certain there'll be future opportunities where we'll have more discussions, particularly about well-being and teacher well-being and the project yeah. that you've got coming along. Uh, guys, make sure you follow Nicola all, on all elements of the social media. I'll post, I'll post it up on Spotify as well. This is someone who's doing fantastic work, <laughs> someone who's got a fantastic understanding of social class and someone who's reflective in our practice on a day-to-day basis and just a genuinely really good human being. So very fortunate to have Nicola on this podcast today and uh, yeah any questions please let us know we can definitely fill them in some sort of blog or get, get give you feedback in some 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 element or other but thank you very much Nicola uh, you've oh, been thank fantastic you for me. oh thank you have a lovely day brilliant thank you Nicola take care bye bye